Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The title of the message this morning is the message itself. We must honor our elders. What that means, what that looks like, how we must do it. We must honor our elders. It turns out this is one of the great themes of the Bible. It begins in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. And it's been with us for all of human history. It's with us today. That those that God has given us to as their children must be honored by us. And when those aged ones among us as a church family don't have living children to provide for them, we must. It is our duty. Whether the state has Medicare or Medicaid or whether there is any government provision, the Bible is very clear. We have a household and we have duties toward one another. We must honor our elders. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 8. As an introduction to this, let's talk about what the Bible says about father and mother. In Exodus chapter 20, you have the fifth commandment. Verse 11 of Exodus 20 is the fifth commandment as Moses is given from the Lord, the Ten Commandments. And as you might recall, I think the first four are how Israel was to treat God, including Sabbath. And the last six are how they would treat man for God's sake. And the how you treat people for God's sake commandments begin with how you treat your parents. Honor thy father and mother. The first commandment, Paul comments on the first commandment with a promise. The first commandment with a promise. It's a short few words, honor thy father and mother. And it probably makes us ask a few questions. What does this mean to honor my father and my mother? How will I honor my father and mother? What does, what, what's involved? What are the duties? And it's interesting that this often happens in the scriptures. God lays a commandment and then you better figure it out. In Exodus 20, I'll read the whole, the whole litany, the whole command. Well, my Bible's turning slow today. Exodus 20, verse 11. Verse 12, sorry. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. We had all these other commands. This is the first one that had a promise that your days may be prolonged. And so if you get this right, longer life. If you get this wrong, shorter life. That's the idea. Honor your father and mother. One question we might ask is, when? When do I honor my father and my mother? Two-year-olds struggle with this. 62-year-olds sometimes struggle with this. 
But it turns out that this is a responsibility on children in their parents' household and extends to children of aged parents who need care. And the Bible teaches the whole thing. It's children in their household and then children outside the home who now have to help their parents and sometimes bring them into their household. Another question that will often occur, and I, I have to be sensitive to this, we all should be. I had wonderful parents. My parents were awesome and totally not abusive. Corrective, strict, disciplinarian, loving, helping, training, careful with their approval, but never abusive. A lot of people, I mean, an unbelievable number of people have been hurt by their parents. And this is the question, why? Why would I honor my father and mother? And I get it. I didn't experience it, but I've heard enough from people of how their parents, how especially fathers, but not only fathers, mothers can be extremely violent and abusive to their children. And if I'm speaking to you and you're like, yeah, this is, I, I had this. Please, please understand you're still supposed to honor your father and mother. It seems like a crazy thought. Somebody that dishonored me, somebody that abused me, that set me back, that hurt me so badly that I would be required to honor such a person. And it has to do with God. It's always about God. Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20 is how you treat God and how you treat man for God's sake. And if your parents were abusive, if you think of your father as the worst villain in your life, because he is, if that's true for you, Please understand, you go to God about this and you honor the office, the position, not the man in his wickedness, but in his role. He's supposed to be your father and you're supposed to honor what God did in bringing you into this world, into this life. Again, it's, it's hard in this culture with the rampant abuse of children by their parents. There are lots of forms of child abuse, and the one that I think is most prolific in our culture today is neglect. But that's for another time. My point in bringing these things up is, the Lord Jesus wants you to honor your parents regardless of their performance. He wants you to love one another regardless of whether one another love you. He wants you to do what he calls you to do because you're doing it for him. And so we're going to talk about what this looks like today. So in Ephesians chapter six, the apostle Paul gives his commentary on loving or honoring your parents as little children in their parents' household. And the word there is obey children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And he is not talking to 40 year old children. He's talking to children in their father's household. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now we have a thing in our culture where we like, we have two things in our, in our day. We have children that are 18 and so legal as though our law code determines our morality, which it better not, but that's what 18 is legal, but they'll stay at home until 30. And so we're in this strange area where you have an adult child legal who is under the household still. And I think that uh, this old saying, you know, I'm an old knuckle dragging crew cut wearing person that'll say, my house, my rules, my roof, my rules, that kind of thing. But this, there's a reason why. It's because the household sinks or swims based on the performance of those in it. And you don't want to bring shame and a curse on the household. 
And we can't allow that. And the householder must have standards. So you understand it's, uh, it's challenging to negotiate these things in our culture, but actually it's really simple. Biblically, honor your father and mother. If you're in their household, that's obedience. If you're not in their household, it's still honoring them, but it isn't necessarily obeying them. Sometimes this is an important moment in your life where you have to say, I respect you, mom and dad, but I'm going to make a choice different than what you're asking me to do right now. That's a hard moment in your life. And when you find yourself in that position, you might feel angry about it. I don't want to have to say no. I don't want to have a conflict. And I'm the kind of person that when that's, that's on my plate, I get angry about it. I'm angry that you're having a conflict with me. I mean, I'm not extremely angry, but I'm, I am angry. If you make me say no, for example, oh, please don't ever make me say no. I'll be angry. You're like, what's wrong with you? And the truth is that deep down, I'm, I don't want you to say, I don't want to have to say no. And you're making me say no. So I get mad. Stupid. <laughs> I think in every case, uh, except for maybe one, anger makes us stupid. And um, I think that's a good technical theological term, stupid. All right. It's hard when you're parents and you have a conflict, but you can honor your parents and disagree with them. A lot of times moms and dads feel dishonored if you disagree, and that's not necessarily true. The Lord Jesus never dishonored his mother. Are we, we aren't clear on this? He never dishonored his mother. He never committed a single sin. He never transgressed the Mosaic law in one instance. And yet, who are my mothers and my brothers? Those people that are outside trying to get me to stop preaching, including Mary. No, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my father. There's a disagreement between the Lord Jesus and his mother at, at points. What do, you, what do I have to do with you? When he, she says, can you make some more wine? There's a disagreement there. My time isn't here right now. It's not time for me to do miracles to, to pro, proclaim the kingdom is at hand. It canna. All right. When we have disagreements with our parents, we do it in honor. And that's what Paul is teaching Timothy here in this household of the faith. The young pastor going to a church that has or, or, or an assembly of believers that has older men and older women. And there's a right way to treat them. While we're surveying, I want to look at Matthew chapter 15 real quick. Matthew 15, where Jesus blew my mind as a child. Because as a child looking up through the scriptures to God, I was very well aware of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then honor thy father and mother. Paul quotes Exodus 20, verse 12. For this is the first commandment with a promise, that you live long in the land. Now, Jesus corrects the religious leaders of his day. Blesses them with the grace of God by showing them that they are contrary to the word of God with their traditions. When the theological traditions of men contra contradict the word of God, you have to repent. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse one of Matthew, some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. See, they make a big show of ritual purification of their hands, a big old, big old show that they make to show their righteousness. And, they, and the, the, the disciples aren't going through this ritual. 
Jesus answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? I can't find in Exodus 20 anything about washing hands, but uh, there's honoring your father and mother is what he's saying. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, Korban. What that means is, mom and dad, I could build an in-law apartment and set you up and provide food and care for you and call the medicus over. I could, I could do this for you, but... I've already given that portion of my income to the Lord because in our culture, we're doing this as a tradition that's, that's set apart to God's service. So I can't do what God says to do with my resources because I've set that money apart to serve God. See, we do the same thing. We put, we make our little boxes. This is my got my, my Christian box, my, my church box. This is my work box. This is my school box this is my life. The kids are over here and I've got my kids in this thing, but my Christian life is over here. We do this compartmentalization. That's what they're doing. Verse six, Matthew 15. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching, a doctrine, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Why does that blow my mind? Because honor thy father and mother, little David, continues after you leave your parents' home. It's not obey. It's honor. And in that case, it says the adult man provide for them. Jesus Christ wants us to care for our parents. If the state does a good job of that with its various programs, that might be one way we elect to, to do that. Just like if the schoolhouse has a good educational program for certain things, we might delegate our training of our children to the schoolhouse for some things. I don't think in today's schoolhouse you can succeed. Personally, I don't believe that you can succeed in discipling children in Deuteronomy 6 style, teaching them the things of God all day in public school. I don't think it's possible. I think the, the educational culture is completely arrayed against that effort. That's my personal opinion. And it may be that if you put your parents in a, a facility, it may be that you can be providing for them that way. But it's very hard to do, isn't it? To know what's really happening behind those closed doors at night. You see, this, is, this directly touches our culture. Because we take care, we, we get rid of the inconvenient as a, as a habit. It's our, it's our first thing is to just get rid of inconvenience. An inconvenient pregnancy? I mean, she's got her whole life in front of her. She can't, she can't be saddled with a baby here in high school. So, I mean, we know what we have to do. Mom and dad really are having trouble. I mean, it would be a lot of work to take care of them. We'll, dele we'll delegate, we'll find delegate, but you better have supervision on the delegation. And it's very hard to do. Just by way of an aside, I've watched this a lot as a pastor in this little church. Elderly people in a home have trouble. Everybody has trouble. They're in, they're in the nursing home and something happens that shouldn't happen. 
Who's going to be their advocate? They can't advocate for themselves. They can call for help till they're blue in the face. They're just inmates. So you, the children, come along and you hear from them and then you go talk to the administration and say, wait just a second. Do you know what happens a lot of times when you do that? Retribution from the idiot staff. I've, I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, I haven't physically seen the, 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 the retribution, but I've seen the situation where this takes place. Is that a thing? Is that true? That's yeah, horrible. Because guess what? People are people and work is hard. And that kind of work is very hard. And fresh on our minds is the way Nell Manalakis went home. Nell was home where she wanted to be. And you, Preston City Bible Church, made that possible. It was a big lift. And she had resources. And we helped her with those resources to use some of those resources to have people that could live there and take care of her. You remember Anita? Anita Cujo? Uh, when uh, Don, I'm sorry, when um, Keith and Peggy, when Peggy couldn't, she couldn't take care of herself anymore, Linda Sambona became a Christian sitting right back there, bringing Peggy to church. I think this is a much better way. If you need help, get help, but boy, you better be able to supervise it, especially in the time in which we live. All right, so you're supposed to take care of your parents in their old age. Mark 7, verses 9 through 13 are a similar account to what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 15. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 8, we have, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger women as sisters in all purity. This is, Timothy, how you would treat the people in the church family. Now notice, notice that Paul is instructing, commanding Timothy for his conduct. This is why we call these the pastoral epistles. This is how you do pastoral work. You treat the people like they're in your family. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, verse 5 says, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Period. That's the widow we're talking about. This is a statement of aspiration, ladies. This is who you want to be. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. We'll see, has died, has, 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 has already died. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is an emotional attachment you might have to your parents and your grandparents. You might be the kind of person that gets misty about them in their age. It may be that that's the relationship you have with your parents and good. That feeling of sympathy toward them is going to help you with your responsibility. But if you don't have that feeling because of brokenness, because of whatever brokenness in you or in them, it still is your responsibility. You better draw near to the Lord and get strength from him because it's a big lift. Dear brother in the Lord had to do this with a mother who was completely repugnant. 
And he managed it. He did what he had to do. I'm certain that your car isn't being stolen, but it is going off. (laughs) Whosoever it may be. All right. Well, let's get into the outline of this, what Timothy's being given from Paul. In verses 1 and 2, it's how Timothy is to speak to the people in the household. And it's really important. You, you're going into this group as an outsider. This is how you treat them on the inside. This is the way you deal with them. You don't sharply rebuke the older man. How much time has, how many times has Paul already said, correct these people in their false teaching? He's telling him to go in there and fix, go in there like a wrecking ball, but you do it in a right way. You're going to tear down these false doctrines, these doctrines of demons. These things fit for uh, elderly womanish myths. Remember that? You're going to go in and address all that, but you're going to do it as a gentle son, an adult son to an adult father. We're going to honor, honor widows indeed in verse three. This widow indeed is someone that doesn't have people to take care of her. And then how children of widows are to treat their mothers. So notice we started with the young going to the elderly and then how the elderly are to be treated. And then how the younger children are to the children of widows are to treat their mothers and grandmothers. And then it's not, look how Paul hits everybody, how the widows are to behave and not to behave. The word of God tells every one of us where to start and where to stop. It addresses every one of us exactly where we are, exactly what we need to do, think, be, and say. The word of God hits us all. And you don't want to be the person in the room where the shotgun blast hits everyone and say, not me. Doesn't address me. You don't want to be that arrogant person that can't be spoken to by God's word. See, Paul has a word of instruction, of direction, of encouragement for everyone in the discussion, the taking of sides. I'm for the widows. Everybody with me? We're for those widows that can't provide for themselves, right? Well, what about the kids? We're for the kids too. Well, what about those kids that are having trouble with their widow mothers? Well, let's talk about the relationship there. Oh, we can see some issues. They need some help. They need some encouragement. Yeah. You see the Bible addresses everyone. And if, and this is really in this church, are there problems between people? You have people issues. It's a group of people with sinful natures will be when you have those seams, those, those rifts, you know, what happens if we go back to God and make it about him, those things go away to the extent that it's about you, you have problems, but to the extent that it's about God, those things go away. And that's humility. That's the ability to say, God is speaking to me. And as much as this addresses me, I need to submit to him. And do what he's called me to do. In verse 8, those who do not provide for their widows are worse than unbelievers. So you have all categories of people addressed. And I thought that was interesting when I kind of zoomed out after uh, working through it in detail. As I'm about to ask you to, to do with me now. In verse 1, Paul says to the elders, to the elder men, masculine noun, presbuto, presbuteros, which is your masculine noun for an older man. Presbutera uh, as a a feminine, the older woman. So we're not talking about the office of elder from chapter three. We're talking about older men here. He says to the older men, uh, do not uh, epiplexes. I think it's epiplexo. This is a one-time word in the New Testament that that he commands him not to do this. 
The epi is added on in Greek when you're jamming words together, but the main word is, uh, is this word with P-L-E as the, the root. And it has to do with striking and hitting. And so it's a, it's a, it's a violent word to talk about the, your speech. It is talking about what you say, but it's the sharp rebuke. You don't go after someone, you know what I mean? A few years ago, I heard in the Marine Corps, they outlawed the drill instructor from using what they call the knife hand. You ever heard of the knife hand? Uh, we lived and died at West Point by the knife hand. You go over here. <laughs> they would think about it as silliness. But um, the Navy, they'd probably call it like an, like an oar hand, right? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> but the sharp, you know, you are going to salt. No, no. I mean, I've got, I, I've got boys. I can do this. But, um, but that's not... That's not how you do this. You're gentle and you're kind and you're respectful is really the issue. So I've translated, do not hit an elder man with a strong rebuke. Hit in quotes, because that's the language. It's, it's forceful. And it's a one-time word in the New Testament. We call it a hopox legomenon. And here's the contrast, but entreat him as a father. Now, those of you that have been casually watching up here are probably almost able to sound out that word that I've got in red but I'll just do it real quick. You see the P right there? Everybody see the P? Now in your math class, your teacher taught you that it was pi, but no one in Greek ever said pi. That'd be P-A-I, pi. This letter is pronounced P, like you say in English. That's where we got it. Now, when I, grew, when, when I was in elementary school, they didn't tell me it's called pi. They said it's called pa. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> pa, P, and everybody sees the A? So far, Pa. And then that letter will mess you up. It looks like a P, but it's not a P in Greek. It's an R. That's the letter Rho. And it says R, Par. You with me so far? No quitting. This is, by the way, the way I do illustrations. This is kind of a commercial in the middle of the message. Par. And then everybody see the A? Para. And then what's this letter here? Anybody? Kappa. But it says what? Okay. Isn't that nice? You already know Greek. Paraka. And then you see the A? Paraka. And then the, again, upside down Y. You have to learn this one. That's the L. That's the lambda. That's the L letter. They don't do it the way we do it. They do it with an upside down Y. Why? I don't know. Because the Greek mothers taught their Greek children. Okay. Parakal, and then the E-I just says A. Parakale. Which is a contextual imperative form for parakaleo, which is a very common Greek word. Some of you are watching this. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that word. Parakaleo. That is the word that Paul uses most to describe how he teaches, how he is encouraging, exhorting. The paraclete, the parakletos, the paraclete is the one that would, in one translation, be the comforter. It could also be the encourager. This is the, the, the most common word for ministry, I think, in Paul's letters. And so it's good to know that. Now, the origin of this word is to call to one side. Para, beside, kaleo, to call. Come here. Or to, an, to a superior, would you please come help me? Okay? 
to an inferior, to somebody that needs to come and learn something. Hey, come here, come over here. I think that the paraclete being the Holy Spirit as God would be the superior and we would be the subordinate, you see, and uh, draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Now, the word that Paul uses could be translated exhort, encourage. I've translated it entreat based on context, but it's something less strong, less powerful than command. That's the idea. And context really has to determine how the author means the word that he's using. The, the reason he says the word here is because it's softer than a command. He's coming to correct them in false doctrine and doctrines of demons, the asceticism that's, that's going on in the church in Ephesus and, and all the things that are a problem. He has to go in there and tear all that out, but he's going to do it the right way. It matters how you say what you say. So you entreat him as a father. Whatever this word is being used to say parkaleo here, it is as unto a father. In the culture they have, they understood better than we do in our culture, fatherhood, respect for the father. His position, not necessarily his person, but his position calls for respect. And that's called the laws of divine establishment or divine institutions. God set up fathers and mothers. God set up marriage. God set up family. And that's something we respect because we honor him. So you entreat him as a father. Young men, you speak to them as brothers. Hmm. But I'm the apostolic emissary. I'm coming with the authority, the imprimatur of the apostle Paul to come fix these problems here in Ephesus. That's right. And you come in there and you talk to those young men that are listening to those confused older men and you speak to them as brothers. Right there, see, there's so many things you can see right in that thought. Now think about it. You're coming in there as the outsider and you treat those men like they're your dad. You talk to them like fathers. You treat those young men like they're brothers. See the intimacy involved in being part of the body of Christ? In Southern Christianity, it's common to hear brother and sister. Maybe it's common up here in the fundamentalists. Brother this and brother that and sister this. In my experience, just hear my pagan ears for a second. Hear what I'm hearing when I hear brother so-and-so. I'm hearing we're in a technical context where we're calling each other brother and sister because that's because we're holy people of the Baptist persuasion. So we call each other brother and sister. Without necessarily thinking that I'm talking to a brother in Christ, that there is brotherhood because of the union that we have in Christ. See, I, I, I hear that in the churchianity. I hear brother this and brother that. And I'm just skeptical and cynical. And so I hear brother and I'm like, yeah, you mean the one that cuts you to pieces? <laughs> the ones that sell you into slavery to the Midianites? <laughs> you know, what do you mean brother? Well, the brother here is that you're in a family, you're in a household together, and you should consider each other as household. Now, in my family, I did not ever call my sister sister. I called her by her first name. I didn't call her sister Carrie. I just called her Carrie in my best moments. That's what I called her. <laughs> in my, in my, my righteous moments, I called her by her name and we had nicknames that were good. That were good. And we still joke around about them, but, but 
So, so to artificially say, well, now you're going to call each other brother this and sister that, when you're not doing that in our households, that to me is a little bit weird. And I don't, maybe it's just culture. I'm not telling you not to call each other brother so-and-so. I'm just saying, please don't be shocked if I don't say it that way. Because I want to treat you like a brother, and I would, I would never call like an actual brother had God given me one. Hey, brother, I'd probably call him bro, because I'm just informal like that. Anyway, but you treat these, young, these people as they're, though they're your family, he says. In verse 2, to the elder women, the presbyteros, same word group, but now with a feminine ending. Elder women like mothers. You talk to them like mothers. Now they're, how do you talk to your mother? Right? Respectfully, with kindness. Young women as sisters, but, he doesn't say but, but he adds with all moral purity. Hognos. Hey, young man, you're going into a place where there are young women. You men can talk to other women, but you do it as a household, as sisters with moral purity. What a great thought for how we deal with the sexes. You think of it as the household with all moral purity. First principle that I want you to get is that God has a way he wants you to treat one another. God has a way that he wants you to treat one another. What is that way? Honor. Team A, honor. Do y'all know what honor is? We like to talk about it. Douglas MacArthur, duty, honor, honor country. Those through hallowed words revelly dictate what you can be, what you will be, what you must be. Or some, something like that. You know the thing. What is honor? Well, biblically, honor means assigning a value to something, giving it a value in your thinking. In this context, Paul will use that concept of honor of having value in two senses. One is that I value who you are. I value the, I value the age that you have. And because of your age and the value I assign to the wisdom that goes with that age, then I treat you a certain way. That's the idea. It's reverence for age in this case, but it means assigning a value. So what's wrong with us? We don't honor our elders as a culture as we should, because we don't value wisdom. We don't value the life experience, right? And all the elders are like, yeah. <laughs> now the young people are probably thinking actually in this group, in this room, we actually do value that. But I mean, as a culture, it's not something that we respect. You know, you see somebody fumbling around with their phone. <laughs> and you say, oh, they can't even figure out their phone. Well, but their generation invented it. And, and the users have done nothing. And those inventions will probably ensure that they do nothing. <laughs> it turns out, if you think about it. But honor, that's how you're supposed to treat each other, with honor, with value. When you hear honor, think value. You value each other's time. You value each other's conscience. You value each other's spiritual lives. You value the fact that every believer that you'll ever encounter is headed to the judgment seat of Christ. And that is the moment 
where their eternity is set up, where what they're going to do for Jesus for eternity and eternity and eternity is at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that every one of you, you have an appointment for this event? Do you see this in each other? That your relationship ought to be advancing each other toward the well done at the judgment seat of Christ? See, I think that would be to honor one another, to value each other and what God is doing with each other. Second principle, we honor one another in the household of God after the pattern of a family, according to God's word. We honor one another in the household of God after the pattern of a family. When he says brothers and sisters, he doesn't mean that you have to legalistically call each other by the word brother or sister. He means that you should treat each other like you grew up in the same household. Now, of course, that doesn't mean fighting like cats and dogs, as siblings will often do. It means that having been sanctified and understanding that common thread we have of the same parents and the same household, that we care for one another because of the riches that we have in our heritage. And so the pattern is family. It is the pattern of family. It is always the pattern of family. What do I mean? You have to put up with each other. You have to be patient with one another. You have to deal with the fact that the closer you get to any one person in this church, the more you're going to see their shortcomings and the things that they don't know about themselves, the blind spots and their arrogance and their self-image. You're going to come to see those things and come to experience that. And it's going to smell bad at times. And you're going to have to absorb that and say, even though I see this, I'm sure there are things about me that I don't see that they probably see. And we're going to have to deal with one another. And I'm going to honor what God is doing in this person's life. As I've summarized, people are messy, but we've got to deal with them as family. Does, does family carry obligation? It's all through this passage, right? Does having brothers and sisters carry obligation that's a little bit different from other people in this life? In verse three, widows, honor widows. It's a command. I put it in red, honor, tima, tima, honor widows who are truly widows indeed is the, in need. I'm sorry, in need. Your Bible says widows indeed. And what, what does that mean? Well, let me just point it out. Keros is widows and Keros is widows. But he says, honor those, the, be, the, the truly, the indeed widows. So what is a truly or a, an indeed widow? This is somebody who hasn't just lost her husband, but has lost because of her husband, lost her support. This is an economic category, the widow indeed. It isn't just someone that needs moral support because they're, they're lonely. That's a big problem, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about whether people survive because they eat a meal. He's talking about Acts chapter six and the Hellenistic Jewish widows versus the, 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 the people from Judea. He's talking about this original problem that was the first reason we called deacons to wait tables because there is the need for those in the household who cannot support themselves. And that's what we're talking about now. The widows in need, those who are truly in need. Honor them. Two meanings of honor. Value that elderly woman for her wisdom, for her age, for what she's done with her life. And she's, especially as, as we'll hear that she served the Lord night and day. But more than that, 
Honor means that you provide for, just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. And that's where he's going to go. The third principle is honoring or valuing an elderly woman in the household who has no living or means uh, no living support means providing for her. That's what I'm trying to say. Honoring the elderly woman in the family who cannot provide for herself and has no children to provide for her it means to provide her needs. And we're going to have a whole paragraph on what that looks like in the local church. And some would say, well, this is the origin of the nunnery, of the, 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 the set-apart women. And uh, it probably is the origin of that, that traditional thing that developed into an ecclesiastical structure. But we're talking about inside a local church. If you have someone that cannot provide for herself, then you have to do the functions of her children as the younger people in the church. Again, we did this as best we could for now. We did, she had means, but she still needed young people to help her, younger people. Was she 90, 99? Sharp as a tack to the end. But her body stopped being able to do the things that she, she needed to do. And so she, she needed young people to help, young, like her children would do if they were available. Or, or, and we were her church family, so we, we did that for her. We did what we could, providing for her. And it doesn't just mean you cut someone a check, go be clothed, be fed with the money I've given you. It means that you care for somebody in ways that they can't care for themselves. Yeah, I have money, but I'm, I'm going to freeze to death unless someone puts some fire in my, in my furnace. That kind of thing. It's, it's, it's provision for the person that you would actually take responsibility and concern yourself for their well-being. You can't do this as a government program. I know it's shocking, but you can't. You can't do this as a government program, and I'll prove it to you. We had, um, we, we had occasion to deal with some social workers in Norwich, and I spoke to one, and I said, how many uh, young people are you the father for, the conservator that's, that's the, the, all the cases that you're working where you're the, the, you're the loco parentis for kids in group homes? And he said, 15. And this man had a family of his own, and I'm sure his phone goes off at night. I'm sure his phone gets turned off at night. 15 kids that think of him as the social worker who's in the place of a parent. The, the, the government cannot do this. It's impossible. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you cut someone a check, that solves a few problems. It solves a lot of problems, but it doesn't solve everything, especially when someone becomes less and less capable with their body. And you can't just, you can't just try to throw money at it. That money has to be spent and directed and overseen. As I was saying before, uh, in the nursing home, you have, in, in any medical situation, I absolutely believe that patients need advocacy, especially elderly patients. They need somebody there listening to what that doctor is saying and insisting on, on everyone, all the other providers doing what the doctor has prescribed. And I've seen so many times with you in this church as I'll go to the hospital where what the doctor said isn't being done by the nurse. It happens. People are people. They're, they're limited. And guess what happens with the nurses? How many people are you taking care of on this floor tonight? 12. Somebody needs to go advocate for that one that's yours. You see what I mean? This is the horror of COVID where they shut the hospital out from the advocates. The hospitals love that. 
because these squeaky wheels that bother us to do what the doctor said, they're, they're all, they're separated. They can't come in COVID. There are a lot of things about COVID that I'm angry about. That's one of them. All right. In verse four, now, if any widow has children or grandchildren, now we're going to address what the young people need to be doing. They are first to learn to show good worship to their own household. Why did I translate this word good worship? Because it's the verb for eusebiah. And I think it means be good Christians toward their own household. Just like Jesus said, you're going to keep your money apart for the Lord that you, you know, I can't spend this money on you. I've saved it for the Lord. When the Lord wants you to use that money to take care of your parents, that's good worship. You take care of your family is the point to their own household and to pay back a recompense to their parents to pay back, to pay back apodidomy. It means to give back, to pay back recompense is this word. Um, I'm sorry, a, a moi boss a recompense to pay back. So what it means is that, so we as children of aging parents are obligated because of all the care that they gave us. You say, my parents abandoned me. Well, whoever cared for you, that's the parent. That's what we're talking about. If you had just been left to gurgle, you would have died. But that someone took care of you. You're here because someone nurtured you and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And guess what happens as we age? We end up needing someone to care for us and do the things that we can't do for ourselves. And it's the horror. It's, it's a horrible thing, this problem of aging. And I think the body dies a little bit as we get older, preparing us to embrace being absent from the body and present with the Lord. But until that time, till God has us going home and this body starts to fail, we need, we better have instilled compassion and a work ethic and love and all that in our children, because that's God's plan is that the kids will provide. They're supposed to be worshipful toward their own household. They're supposed to be Eusebiah, reverent toward God and how they take care of their household and to pay back a recompense to their parents for this is pleasing before God. The, the meaning of this passage is settled. It means exactly what it means. And it means what Paul means by it as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he's writing. Okay. It means the meaning is settled, but every one of you with your parents, grandparents, and how you, as you age, deal with your adult children, the application of this is an individual thing. And the way uh, you younger to deal with the older one to deal is to say, absolutely. I'm honoring them before God with my conscience. I'm honoring them. But you can see the wisdom here. See that the people, oh good, we'll go to church because they'll take care of my parents. No, you take care of your parents. And if something happens to you, we'll take care of your parents. That's what that means. People are always looking for an angle, always trying to get over and never drawing near to God and saying, I'm under you. I'm going to live my life for you. I'm not going to work an angle. I'm going to be honest and open. 
Honoring our parents, point four, in their golden years means repaying a debt of provision for their needs. It absolutely means that. If you don't provide, then you're not going to be honoring them. In verse five, now the truly needy widow. Here's the profile for the widow indeed, the truly needy widow. Even one who's been left completely alone, even the, one, the woman who's been, who's, her husband's died, and she's lost, uh, she lost uh, um, uh, her husband, and Mahlon, and Kilion, and Orpah, and even Ruth left. She's just by herself. This woman, okay? She has fixed her hope upon God and abides in petitions and prayers night and day. Past perfect, she has in the past with ongoing results, fixed her hope on God. And not on men, but on God. She's, re- she's looking into relying on him because she has no other recourse. Not on the government, not on Medicaid, not on Medicare, on God. Our hope is in God. Can he provide through various means? Yes, but our hope is in God. Where is our hope? In God. And she is present, ongoing work. She is abiding in petitions and prayers night and day. She's on mission, not praying for her needs, praying for God's mission, the petitions and prayers. It's, it's a, it's articular, meaning the, the prayers that we're being trained by God and his word to, to, to offer. This is the profile. This is what you want to be. And the profile continues. I'm not going to get to it. This, uh, this message, but in uh, second or uh, first Timothy five, What, is it? what does he say about these ladies? A, a widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted those in distress, if she's devoted herself to every good work. We're looking for that category he doesn't address, that the widow in need who doesn't do those things Paul's saying you need to be, if you're going to be a part of the, the resources of the church, you need to be part of the mission of the church. And w- when we get into this section, we're going to talk about the 10%, 90% rule or the 20%, 80%. He's saying you ladies that are going to be part of the church's resources, they're going to, they're going to put your living. You better be in that core of the church is actually doing the work of the church. None of this, I'm just a hanger on. I just show up, you know, kind of come and go. And it's good to have been there and we've got our seed and, and that kind of, no, no, this is somebody that's really invested in the work. And that's what he says here, that she's abiding in the petitions and prayers night and day. And here's the contrast. She who indulges in excess. Another one-time word, spatalosa, the, uh, the <laughs> participle to indulge in excess. She who indulges in excess, one word, although living has already died. You've lost your spouse, you've lost your kids, but if you lose yourself, then you have no purpose. And see, Paul is teaching in all his letters that we're supposed to be on the work, doing the work of God, not satisfying our, ourselves. This word, uh, 
uh, for indulgence could be alcohol. It doesn't mean alcohol, but it could reference alcohol. On the base sense, the BDAG people say, the, the lexicon people say behind this word is, uh, is sucking in, like often as, a, as a, a metaphor of alcohol, of wine. The person that's imbibing in, in indulgence. That's the idea. Again, it doesn't mean alcohol. It means indulging in excess. And our fifth principle, widows who are unable to provide for themselves still have work to do. See, the Bible hits everybody. It talks, I mean, it, it addresses every one of us. Widows who are unable to provide for themselves still have work to do. And I see widows in the, in the local church family as prayer battalions. I see them as batteries of prayer support for the work that God has called us to do. Should we think of this as nothing? The petitions and prayers night and day? Because I think we often do. The more, the farther we progress away from God as a culture, the more you hear our oh, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, yak, yak. Well, there's one way of saying I'm praying for you. And then there's the other work of actually doing it. It's work. It's labor. It's a lifestyle. Why do you not pray? Why don't we pray like we should? We don't believe in the moment that it's a good use of our time. We don't think about God having his way in our lives and wanting this from us. We don't prioritize like Jesus did in his earthly walk, where whatever else is going on, he's getting up early going to pray. The end of the long day of ministry, Matthew 14, he's up on the hill praying. He's going to pray no matter what. I'm about to go and uh, suffer the worst torture um, uh, imaginable let's go over here and pray for hours. See, we don't believe in prayer. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in prayer. That's why we don't do it. It's, it's a functional atheism. But see, if you do believe in him, if you in the moment are trusting in him, if you are walking with him, then it's the most natural thing in the world to spend a little time to set aside a little concentration, a little attention to this discipline of prayer. And I want to tell you, I understand it is a challenge. It is a great challenge to set aside the time, to turn off the phone, to devote yourself to prayer. It is a great challenge because you're talking to someone who does not speak back to you, except in what he said here. You're talking to someone that you cannot see and touch. You can go next door and talk to the neighbors and they're right there. But, but that's not the nature of prayer. And it's a challenge and to stay focused with it. Pastor, how can you help us with that? Take something easy that you already understand. Psalm 23. You already know what it means. It's written in the third person, meaning speaking of someone, not to someone. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You take that easy little six verses of Psalm 23 and you start saying in the second person, Lord, you are my shepherd, therefore I will not want. You know, he switches in verse 4 to the, the, the second person. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you start with something easy that you understand and you say it to him. And you think about it and you talk to him about it. And if you need to, because you're struggling with time, as we all are, Put a timer. 
Pick the time that you want to devote to prayer and focus on it and concentrate on it and set the timer. You can even look at the clock and see how things are going. Some people really need that to stay on task. And you know who you are. <laughs> but whatever you, you do, this is the description of somebody who is fit to be part of the central ministry of the church. And um, it's like, it's kind of presented as the widow's retirement plan. You, you come on and we'll support you, but you've got labor and it's expected and it's known that this is what you need to be about. So it's a beautiful picture of household, of Christian labor. Retirement, I guess, is one word for let's go to the next job, the next thing that God has for me to do. And not indulgence in excess, but more and more preparation for that judgment seat of Christ. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege to think these things through together, to think about our responsibility to you and how we deal with our families. Father, everyone here, we all have a different relationship with our parents or our grandparents. Everyone here has a different arrangement because that's the nature of this life. We're all different. And so we, we bless you for that difference and ask for your strength to be about this business in a way that honors and pleases you. Father, you've given us resources, part of the, the purpose of those resources to honor our parents. For those who are struggling with the idea of honoring parents who did not honor them, who didn't train them, who didn't love them, who didn't provide for them, who didn't care for them, Father, let these ones who are so hurt in your healing grace through your word, let them be trophies of your grace and how they forgive and how they take up this responsibility for you to bless you, to praise you. Father, in everything, let us be for your glory and praise. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest and savior. Amen.